Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. It's the 7th of February, 2017. I'm Benjamin Riley. It's 2018, sorry. Oh, God, fuck. <laughs> that's okay. That's how, that's how committed I was to just reading what was on the, what was on the thing. It's the 7th of February, 2018. I'm Benjamin Riley. And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode, we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week, we're talking about stereotypes. Uh, it's our first proper episode for 2018, um, which comes with the very exciting uh, announcement that we made at the live show, which is that we have a new website, and it's very shiny and, and nice, and uh, so far, had some pretty good feedback. Um, we would love it if you could go and have a look and tell us what you think. The URL is queerspodcast.com. So pretty, pretty easy. Yeah, pretty, pretty excited to have it up. There are like, there are beautiful pictures of us at the top of every page as well. So just what we've, you know, to, to, um, take our, the narcissism of having a podcast in the first place to its logical conclusion, or at least its next step. Uh, now you can, uh, you can see us every time you want to go and find anything about the, uh, about the podcast. Well, look, next what we need to do is to put our photos into the logo of the podcast and then, and then it will be like set. No, we need like someone to do a sketch of us and incorporate that artistically into it. Oh, that sounds great. I like that. Yep. Let's do it. Let's just go full wank. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe, <laughs> may, maybe now we should... Well, let's think about that for the future. But let's, we'll get to the episode today and then, and then I think that's yep. a future, yeah, yeah, yeah. future project. Yep. I agree. We are all, whether queer or not, impacted by stereotypes in some way. The stereotypical man is supposed to be masculine, while the stereotypical woman is feminine. These stereotypes are then reversed when talking about gay men and lesbian women. Don't fit the stereotype and your personality will often come under question. Stereotypes often come from a history of oppression used as ways to delegitimize and mock minority groups and to enforce social norms. Queers, however, have also often defined themselves in terms of those stereotypes, using them to form important cultural practices such as drag and the dykes on bikes. 
But in recent years, we've seen moves from queers to break away from the stereotypes that have often defined us. The hashtag mask for mask culture on dating sites, for example, represents a rejection of the stereotype that all gay men are feminine. So today we want to have an in-depth look at stereotypes. Where do stereotypes come from? How have they shaped queer and other communities? And what should we do about them? So Ben, to start with a bit of a personal question, oh. wondering as, as, a, as a gay man, have you ever found yourself being stereotyped in a particular way? And how did you respond to that, like either in yourself or to the person who was doing it to you? Sure. I mean... I'm sure that I am stereotyped all the time as a gay man, but in terms of my, in terms of me actually being aware of that, it probably doesn't happen that much anymore. I think, uh, you know, as is probably obvious from the fact that I do a podcast called Queers, I've sort of leaned into the whole gay thing, um, and, and have worked a lot in, in queer communities. And, and so that allows me to avoid some of that by just embracing it kind of completely. The, Best examples I can think of of when maybe I've had more negative reactions to it, probably not since I was younger. Um, I reckon in my kind of late teens, early 20s, I can certainly remember situations where, particularly like coming out to people who who maybe I'd known for a while or, yeah, who had a kind of particular view of me. I definitely noticed situations where people's behavior towards me would change to, yeah, I don't know, almost to kind of, like, women, for example, when I would come out to them, if I'd known them for some time, would kind of do this, like, like, hey, girlfriend sort of thing when I came out to them that had, like, never been a part of our relationship before. Yeah, yeah. And I was just kind of like, what is happening? Like, this is this is new. This is not a, a way that we've ever related before. Um, and, I, yeah, I don't know if I've ever sort of said something. I probably wasn't confident in, enough in myself when that was happening to really say something about it. But I think, I mean, I I think if that happened now, I would. But at the same time, I feel like I'm kind of a self-confident enough person and a sort of, like, out enough person that I also can't imagine it happening now. Yeah, um, yep, yep. yeah. I don't know. How about you? And that, well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see hear you say. That basically, what I get a sense is that you know, some people change their behaviour. The sort of the moment they they found out you were gay to sort of to to suit those sorts of stereotypes that maybe um, existed. Um, and I, I reckon that's probably a pretty common experience for a lot of gay men or 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 queer people in general, depending on on their sexuality or gender identity. And I don't know. I don't know whether that was a, about making. I suspect it was probably more about making them feel comfortable than about making me feel comfortable. You know that it's kind of like it's a kind of a strange situation sometimes to be in to find out that someone's gay, particularly if you're not used to that, or if it's someone you've known for a long time. If you don't have a sort of really defined cultural script, or yeah, if you're a bit uncomfortable and you don't quite know what to say, you fall back on a script that you think seems appropriate in the moment, and that script is inevitably going to be defined by stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, which which makes total sense, and it's and it's not like a, it's it's not a um a, a really uh, what what's, I've just lost the word in my head, but it's sort of a very negative or mean way to react. It's just a way that's trying to 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 understand or to engage in a way that almost comes across as trying to act like you're 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 cool with it and okay with it or and it is acting like you're cool with it and okay with it through using those sorts of stereotypes as a way to connect with that person and assuming that that's the way that you connect with that person is to to use those stereotypes because you don't have a script that suggests of a different way that you can act in that when those when those people come out in that kind of way yeah and it's certainly it's certainly not something that i you know would res- like would resent 
for a long period of time. Like I, you know, I sort of, I sort of get that. I guess, like, actually, just talking about this, I, sp- I suppose the more potentially, um, uh, like the the more explicitly negative uh, ways I've encountered stereotypes is is often like on the sort of rare occasions when I've, like, the rare occasions post like high school when I've copped homophobic abuse just like in the street or whatever. I guess that's kind of what that is. I remember even just like a year ago, it was really strange because it was so unexpected. I was walking through, maybe I told this story on the podcast. I can't remember. I was just in the CBD. I was in the CBD in Melbourne and uh, a young guy was like walking along with uh, a young woman I assumed was his girlfriend. And he, I was, I was, um, I was going to a meeting and I was, I was in like a a suit, uh, but I had some quite colorful socks showing as i as i often do and the guy yelled at me uh something like mate your socks make you look gay and i just was like you know in the following minutes kind of coming up with all these um obscene comebacks as you do but in the moment i was i was just like what i don't know it just yeah yeah. it was so surprising like i just i would never yeah i would never have even it was so unexpected I almost, I wasn't even really upset about it because it was just so w- weird. And but, but but don't you hate those when you have those moments and you sort of five minutes later come up with the best re- retort and then it's way too late. And in that moment, I, I've had that a couple of times when you sort of freeze and you're like, oh, how do I respond to that? I'm just so surprised. Story of my life, Simon. I'm not even upset. I'm just sort of surprised that that was a thing that that person would say. And now I don't know how to like respond to that because why would anyone say that? So I mean, how about how about you? Can you think of any kind of specific instances where th- those stereotypes have come into play? I think I think my story is potentially similar to yours in the sense that I don't I can't think of anything in recent history where I think that I can you know I, I, I'm certain that there are stereotypes that are that are that that people have about me or people that have about my sexuality uh and that maybe they maybe maybe there are instances where it's where it's publicly joked about or something and I don't even notice it because I'm so confident in my sexuality that it doesn't really bother me or affect me i think uh but going back to sort of when i first came out i think that stereotypes definitely had an had an impact but sort of in an in an, in an opposite kind of way and that i i mean i don't think i've ever really been what you know what what some would consider a stereotypical gay i'm not you know to use the stereotypes i'm not i'm not particularly camp i'm not into shopping or fashion or all those kinds of things that are expected of gay men i'm not you know when i came out was kind of around the time of queer eye for a straight guy and i certainly wasn't any of those you know the stereotypes that were portrayed in that show Uh, and so what often happened was that i would get the oh we, uh, you know, we never, we never could, could have guessed because you're not, you don't act like a gay person. You know, you're just so, you know, you're into football and sports. How, how, how could we know that you were gay? So there was a lot more. And in some ways it made it a bit more difficult to come out because people just had no idea. There was no assumption at all that I was gay because I was so, you know, into sports and not, not feminine and I'm not into shopping and I don't care about my clothes so much, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was kind of a reverse stereotyping or sort of a you know i didn't meet the stereotypes so therefore it made coming out a different process in in some ways uh and that i remember quite clearly yeah it's funny because I, I feel like it's it's tricky almost using personal experiences as a starting point for thinking about stereotypes because so often i feel like when we talk about them it's more like people pointing to representations in media and going like not all gay guys need to be like this blah blah blah, blah. yeah absolutely but it's it's I feel like to get it where those experiences intersect with actual people's lives and people's 
and people's day-to-day experiences, it's a little less direct. Well, yeah, explain what you mean by that. For me, at least. I mean, I I suppose I've certainly seen... I can certainly think of times when I've heard people talk about a particular... Yeah, actually, I mean... I guess this kind of inter- intersects with so many other things. Like, I j- it just popped into my head, I suppose. I remember when I was a teenager and more... I thought this is like therapy, just as we talk. I'm, like, dredging up all these, like, experiences from the past. That's fine, that's fine. <laughs> we kind of do that sometimes in these episodes, so it's okay. I know, it's, it's nice. Just don't judge me. Um, I, I never would. <laughs> Thanks, Simon, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thinking about, like, being a teenager and before... Like, before I was out, but while I knew... What, like, I was out to myself, but not to anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember having these really negative reactions to uh, things like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and and that were essentially, like, homoph- essentially internalized homophobia, um, but that were very much about me reacting against what I saw as, I don't know, like, the playing out of particular stereotypes. But I don't... Yeah, it's I mean, interesting I, like, you it's say hard that. to kind of attribute that to anything other than internalized homophobia, I guess. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because actually I think that connects with my experience as well of of particularly of the sort of coming out phase and the early my early sort of adulthood of reacting strongly against the perception of campness in gay men in particular. Um, sort of, you know, I don't want to uh, look. I'm gonna. I'm going to say this in the in a very not that I've ever did this publicly, but I could see my previous self. I don't think I would have done it on a profile, but I think I could would have had that perception. I could see my previous self being the person who would have been like, oh, "I don't want to talk to femmes on on Grinder. I'm not into femmes." You know that kind of stuff. That I had that internalized homophobia that was very strong in me when I was first coming out. I had a very strong reaction against Queer Eye for the Straight Guy um, as a, as a TV show when I was a kid, uh, when I was a, as a teenager, really. Um, and 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 I've and I've challenged my that sort of internalized homophobia in myself quite a bit, uh, and the way I'm thinking about the way I think about stereotypes and the way I think about you know particularly in this instance you know camp men or, or sort of the stereotype of men of gay men being feminine and and thinking and and I think about that in terms of the rejection that we see of it increasingly in my in my view that we see of it now with the sort of mask for mask culture or and the sort of the no femmes culture and and thinking about that as being a sort of a, a sort of collective internalized homophobia um and and I think that's actually really difficult in some ways because it's you sort of see these stereotypes and you, and they are used as we sort of said in the introduction very briefly they have been designed and used as a way to enforce social norms and to oppress minority groups in particular in particular but how do you react against those without then in turn sort of turning on your own community who have in, in some ways embraced those stereotypes. And that's totally. a real challenge. And I think that's kind of the, the core challenge here. I mean, because it's not, you know, we, we've given these examples of of uh, how ourselves and I, and I think it, like gay men, I mean, you know, we're using gay men as an example, which is always a kind of limitation of, of drawing on our own experience. Absolutely. Uh, but how gay men use stereotypes as a as a way to enact internalized homophobia as just homophobia uh but you know it's important to say that that this stuff is used as a weapon against against gay men by uh, people who are not gay men i mean it's not this stuff doesn't come from nowhere like i, c- mm, I can mm. think of um you know the the idea of like femininity being 
bad somehow has been used as a weapon against not only women, but, you know, any kind of non-normative gender or sexual uh, identity for, you know, for for a very long time. So it makes sense that that would be a kind of t- a, a way that that would express itself. Yeah, and I think that the history of that is is really about sort of uh, de- in some ways degendering gay men and lesbian women by sort of framing them as being the opposite gender. So, you know, gay men are campy and like women and feminine and it's a way of, de- you know, sort of degendering them and, and lesbian women are butch and masculine and like men as a way of degendering them historically and and using that to in turn de- delegitimize them and delegitimize gay men and lesbian women and the role with it we play in society uh, and our capacity to contribute to society because gender roles are so, so enforced in our society and they sort of create a whole range of social norms that sort of create social worth that are used to create social worth. The sort of degendering of gay men and lesbian women is used as a way to then sort of delegitimize gay men and lesbian women and say that you have no social worth. So there is a history there of using stereotypes as a cultural way to enforce social norms as and, and and you just kind of see that not just you know in, in shows like queer eye for the straight guy which is a sort of gay tv show which is sort of was in many ways an early gay tv so so, so sort of played up to those stereotypes as a way to gain i think access to them to a market to a mainstream market but you see it in very early representations of queer people that they sort of stick to these stereotypes as a way in some ways to delegitimize those stories and to de- delegitimize those people throughout sure well, um, back so to like yeah. the early 20th century you know late 19th century there's there's really kind of early examples of that stuff yeah absolutely and 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 i think that that is deliberately done it's not just a you know these these stereotypes as you said they come from somewhere they come from a process of um, of of trying to 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 delegitimize, I keep using that word, but to, to to oppress minority groups in particular ways, and I think that we have to understand that history when we think about stereotypes. But then I think there's also a challenge of not necessarily rejecting them outright because. Being a feminine man is not a bad thing, and being a sure, butch woman yeah. is not a bad thing, and so I think that there's a real challenge in that as well. Totally, I mean, and it kind of goes to what st- the kind of effect of stereotypes, not just on queer people but on anyone, is essentially to uh, limit the scope of ways of being. You know, if if the only kind of images of not, I mean, not just images, but narratives around, you know, like to use that very nebulous term, discourse around. Uh, any sort of, you know, quote-unquote type of person, the effect of that is that, you know, it becomes difficult to act and exist outside of the context of, of that discourse. And even if you do so, you are doing it in explicitly in relation to it because you're opposing it, you know. Uh, yeah. And, and the more intense that, the more intense those narratives as they are for queer people, um, the, you know, the more you are sort of trapped by that. Um, and as you said, it creates this kind of paradox, I think, where, it's it's really really hard to resist things like stereotypes without actively participating in some way in other ways of of uh, constraining uh, ways of being for for certain kinds of people. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I mean, going back to my discussion about the sort of the way people reacted to me coming out, I think that what you're saying there is sort of spoke to really very clearly. It was that. Um, because I wasn't a stereotypical gay man in inverted commas there, uh, there was surprise that I could be a gay man in the first place because how, how, you know, I'm not acting out the stereotype that it is. I'm not acting out that limited way of being. And so my homosexuality in, in its entirety was framed through my opposition to 
the this, the camp stereotype that was that, that that was assumed that I should be playing out at that mm. point, as a, as a gay man, and you and- see that stuff getting like co opted into homophobia in really gross ways too, like and not not just like by straight people kind of saying things like. Uh, you know, oh, you're not like other. We like you because you're not like other Mm-mm. gay guys. You know, and that stuff is so fucked because it it is kind of weaponizing like respectability politics and stereotypes, or, or like turning you into a weapon against other gay guys. You know, that's, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is really horrible. Yeah, and I, and I suspect that that's not just uh, true for gay guys. I suspect it's oh, I'm sure. very true yeah, for yeah, everybody yeah. in the sort of the LGBTI umbrella or whatever i mean i'm not sure you know it's maybe the lbg lgbt i'm not sure how many stereotypes i can think of about intersex people off the top of my no, head but, no, that's a good um point. there are certainly stereotypes about you know many stereotypes about lesbians gays bisexuals and trans people uh to, to name a few to name a few groups of people but anyway um I, you know that sort of the the yeah I, I agree it totally is used to to weaponize people against each other and I, and i think that that's kind of what i'm seeing happening in the community is that the use of stereotypes is is being weaponized in a way that uh, you know, and I, and I go back to gay men because it's a community that I'm sort of most aware of. And but looking at sort of you know gay dating sites in particular, you can see the use of stereotypes being used to weaponize pe- people against each other. And I and I think that sort of weapon for you know as weapons that people can use against each other within the community, and that is really worrying. And that is something that I don't know how we deal with that. And maybe that's something that I'd like to discuss of sort of the way that it's used, stereotypes are used in that way, and how do we actually deal with that. Well, I think that for me, it goes back to the the core point. Of, like, I feel like we've been talking increasingly talking about respectability politics on this podcast over the past mm-hmm. year, and for me, it kind of goes to a lot of the things we talk about when we discuss respectability politics. For, I mean, marriage again, as off as it often is, is a really kind of great example of this. Where is it a kind of space where the the problem is not for for me at least the kind of main problem has become the internalization of this stuff. You know, is not so much that homophobic stereotypes are used really explicitly against queer communities or, or gay gay people or other people in queer communities as though although they are uh it's that you know in in the kind of way of the of you know Foucault's kind of uh panopticon we we have like we don't we don't even need those things to be used against us anymore for them to be internalized and used against each other you know we have whole sections of queer communities that are um desperate to distance themselves from what are perceived as negative stereotypes to gain broader access to to mainstream social and political rights. And I think that the way we kind of fight against that stuff is is the way we would fight against against respectability politics more broadly, which is to constantly be promoting the idea that it is okay to be all sorts of different ways and that we should be pushing against, you know, judgment or you know, marginalization on the basis of any kind of, well, I mean, almost any, you can probably make some decent arguments for a few exceptions, but any, like the vast majority of kind of um, traits or behaviors. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's interesting to me too that you that you very briefly mentioned um, Foucault's Panopticon. Uh, and like, you know, just slip in some Foucault here and 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 then move on. <laughs> but I, you know, the way I was thinking about that was you know that you know a lot about that is about the the continuous watching of each other and then the uh, policing of each other and the sort of well, the policing of, of ourselves. Yeah, that eventually you don't need to be 
you don't need to be policed by someone else. You just do it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, and the policing of people within your own community. I mean, what I just thought of is um, something that enraged me. I think it was last year or the year before was Bud, BuzzFeed had, and I think it was BuzzFeed's, BuzzFeed in the US. Maybe I oh know it was in Australia, actually. Anyway, they had a couple of videos that came out that were sort of challenging stereotypes um, from particular minority groups. And one of them was... Uh, I'm not bisexual, but oh, sorry, I'm sorry, it's not. I'm, I am bisexual, but and so what? What the whole idea was that it was like people being like people who are bisexual on, on screen. There was multiple different people that sort of, you know, sort of. Um, it went from person to person, and they said something like, "I'm bisexual, but I'm not promiscuous," or "I'm bisexual, but I'm not just, uh, you know, making up my mind." All those mm. kinds of things. See, but the thing is, like, I'm totally okay with the idea that it's important to, like, broaden out the idea of what a person could be. Like, if all they'd changed that to was, like, and instead of but, you know, I probably would be fine with that. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I probably agree with you. The, the, but the, the thing that really got me was that it was the... It was an attempt to broaden out the perception of what a bisexual person could be, but in turn it shut down or shut out the perceptions of what bisexual people are as being somehow negative that being a promiscuous bisexual person totally. in particular was the one What's that really annoyed me slut. yeah exactly and Slots that's great you know and that you know just because i mean i mean promiscuity prom- no, no, promiscuity promiscuity is something that has been used as a stereotype against queer people for a long time not just bisexuals gay men in particular faces i think lesbian women have as well um as sort of and and that that links, I think, to social irresponsibility. The idea that we're socially irresponsible because mm. we're promiscuous and we're not settling down and having children and raising a good nuclear family. Uh, but to, you don't. To me, you don't react to that by policing those people who are promiscuous and saying you are sort of giving us all a bad name. You are too queer. You are you know you are doing. You are exactly so, as socially irresponsible as that you know heteros want to, want to make us out to be what you say is well we want to say that bisexuals can be in monogamous relationships and they frequently are in monogamous relationships and that's cool if that's what they want to do but it's also cool if, if bisexual people want to be promiscuous just as it is with if, if gay people or lesbians or trans people or whatever want to be promiscuous that's cool if it's done in a consensual healthy way and so it's you know it, and this goes back to you know what you were saying before. It's we want to broaden out those experiences, but do so in a way that doesn't shut down the experiences just because they're a stereotype. Yeah, I think that's yeah, a really yeah. key part. Um, and so sometimes, I mean, I mean, and coming back to that, I think for me a big part of that therefore is means that sometimes we want to embrace the stereotypes to an extent and say, yeah, you want a stereotype. Gay men is all being feminine. There's nothing wrong with being a feminine person, a feminine man, uh, and nothing wrong with being a feminine gay man. I'm not going to, sh- you know, try and shut down that experience for gay men, but I'm also not going to say that's the only experience for gay men. Mm. I mean, I think that in some ways, talking about all this stuff at the level of discourse is a bit of a. It's kind of approaching it from the, the easiest angle. Like, like it's it's sort of easy for us to see how hypothetically we could have more complex conversations about this stuff and be able to kind of go, we don't all need to be stereotypes, but if we are stereotypes, that's okay. I think it becomes a much more challenging question when we look at, for example, political outcomes that might be relating to the, like, distance. I, I mean, I'm going to come back to marriage again, but that 
sort of rely on distancing ourselves from particular stereotypes, which I, which I think marriage was absolutely about. And and I think there's mm-hmm. a there's a really good question there as to whether it is even possible to achieve or, or or fight effectively within the current political system for those goals without by necessity throwing people under the bus. And I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I like I, I think again and again about something that Nicola said to me in the interview I did with him for the podcast about we were talking about the um the blood equality movement. Yep. Uh which which is this um this kind of fairly new it's probably been around for a couple of years, uh political movement uh driven by a lot of gay men to get rid of the ban on gay men donating blood, which exists in uh in most most parts of the world, certainly in Australia. And Nick had written this fantastic opinion piece. Oh, I can't remember who he wrote it for, but I'll I'll track it down and, and link to it in the, the show notes about how like his argument was basically, yes, like of course it would be great if if gay men could do this, but there's not really a way for you to argue for this without throwing HIV positive men under the bus. You know, like it's it's you like it or not, you are linked to HIV in the same way that, you know, like it or not, gay men are all linked to these stereotypes. You know, that is a that is a legacy that we have to that we we will always or at least for the foreseeable future we're gonna be linked with and and we have to understand the consequences of rejecting that, of 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 actively trying to move away from that. And I just, I, you know, I, I really like any sort of argument that kind of goes, actually, there's no real good answer here. You know, any of the outcomes are actually a bit shit. And I think I, I don't know what I that says about I, my personality. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does say something. I'm not quite sure either, but it does say something. Um, I. Um, I haven't actually read that piece. I'm going to have to go and find it when you when you track it down and put it in the show notes. I'll read it before uh, before we post the episode. But I I think that what you know it's interesting that you bring up HIV because I think that from my perspective, if you, you could look to things like HIV activism, which is which sort of engages in the perceived and the the perceived dirty side of homosexuality, and I say perceived very strongly because it's not my view that it is that HIV is dirty, but that is how it's sort of treated. Um, but it. It, because it is the perceived dirty side of homosexuality, it, the activism around it often can deal with that more effectively and can sort of not throw people under the bus because it has already been cast in that in that light. And I think mm. of a lot of stuff around PrEP, for example, at, at, at the moment, and a lot of the stuff I'm impressed with around PrEP campaigning is the, embra- the, the way it embraces uh, that perceived dirtiness of homosexuality embraces the the sure, potential promiscuity for, for and- promiscuity and i read this great article from archer magazine which we can also link to in the show notes uh in which someone sort of wrote about their experience of prep and how they were someone who felt that they were sexually open and comfortable in their life and then when they realized when they went on prep they realized that they were actually quite you know sort of felt quite uptight i guess or felt very nervous about sex and that going on prep sort of unleashed this experience as a promiscuity and that this was one of the amazing things about prep for them was that it, it gave them the space to explore you know, free sex and, and and promiscuity in ways they hadn't before and that this was celebrated. And I think that that is something that sort of is actually core to a lot of the prep campaigning, which I'm really impressed with and mm. I really like, and that it sort of embraces that, what what would be perceived from the outside as being the sort of dirtiness of homosexuality. Totally. Um, and that's that's very much, I think, 
HIV negative gay men being really dragged forward by HIV positive activists Absolutely. in a lot of ways. There are there there are a bunch of fantastic campaigns like that, um, or, or, or rhetoric in campaigns about that. There was a, there was a great one a few years back that was like just like a, a hashtag campaign. It was something like "We are all clean," I think is what yep, it was, yep. and it was about uh, rejecting the kind of the language that's often used on uh, dating apps that equates, like, it's like, are you clean? I think is a is a question that people ask, basically mm-hmm. meaning to ask, you know, are you HIV positive? And it's, you know, it, it it's gross and it equates HIV with with cleanliness or, or dirtiness, which is which is uh, a pretty kind of horrible way to to stereotype people. And so, kind of going, just saying to people. I don't know, just kind of broadening out the the way that people can kind of think about these words. I think that was a really fantastic, uh, re- fantastic example of that as well. Yeah, I 100% agree. That was a really good campaign. And I think that it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, HIV is a good space to explore where you can actually deal with these stereotypes in, in ways because I think because it has to confront them head on to be yes. able to be able to participate in, the, in, in any yeah. form of activism. And there are very kind of practical realities to it as well. Exactly. We have a listener question to get us back into the year. Imogen sent her question to queerspodcast at gmail.com, and you should also do that if you have a question. Imogen asks, Historically, how do you think that trans rights became included in the LGBT umbrella, given that the first three of those letters are about sexuality, whereas trans isn't? Do you have thoughts on the recent push to include a growing range of letters such as kink, allies, poly, etc. into the acronym? Is this making it meaningless? What do you reckon, Simon? Oh, this is such a big question and uh, such a tough one that we're going to try and like cover in five minutes, but maybe I think we might have to talk about this more in the future. Uh, to that first question, part of the question, uh, how did trans rights become the LGBT umbrella? Um, to be honest, I have no idea about the history of that and the history of the sort of inclusion, I guess, of... Uh, you know, the sort of the, the incorporation of the sort of LGBT, where the LGBT umbrella came from in the first place. I mean, I think that there are probably... I think str- it's relatively new. As in terms of an acronym, yes, yeah. I think so. Um, but like, then also at the same time, historically, you can see strong links between, and this actually goes back to stereotypes in many ways. You can see strong links between issues of gender and sexuality and links between, uh, you know, you know spa- gay male spaces and drag. And, you know, you can, that, that goes back into the 1800s where you can see, you know, uh, gay men who engaged in forms of drag or what would have been called cross-dressing there or trans- transvestite. Um, those sorts of things have historically been connected in many ways, both in the internally in a, in a, in a queer community, whatever that was called at the time, or through an external perception that you know gay men is, were crossdressers and vice versa. Well, for sure. I mean, we've just had an entire conversation about uh, essentially sexual minorities, but through the the lens of ge- like perception of gender. So exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so those so links I, I, are very just, much still there. Yeah, I suspect it's connected in that kind of way, but I don't actually know. I don't know where the acronym came from, so maybe that's something we should look up and uh, mm. and and figure out before um, for maybe for the next episode or for a discussion in the future. Um, in terms of the second question, I mean, so the second question is, you know, the recent push to add growing letters such as kink, allies, and poly. I, I suspect that this question may be related to an article that appeared. Uh, in some UK media, uh, in Gay Star UK, I think it was recently that said now now kink is now there's now K in you know, being added to the letter and kink is now part of this letter, which is part of the acronym. I mean, uh, and 
And I think that that has caused a little bit of, there was a, I've seen a bit of online discussion about that article that just sort of decided that kink is now part of the, uh, that article had a whole range of letters that included poly and F, which was for friends and family and A for, <laughs> a for allies and asexuals. And uh, there was a whole range of different letters. There was also um, and- a, a recent article by Dennis Altman, uh, actually responding to the, the conference that we were at and did the live show at where he talked, he basically argued for doing away with the acronym and replacing it with diver- like DSG, diverse sexualities and genders. And, and that's um, that's also caused a lot of similar discussion. Yeah, and, and actually, I've, that's, I've written something similar about, to that in the past for SBS once, and I, and I keep changing my mind on it because sometimes I use the acronym, sometimes I don't. I think... I don't know. I really, I really struggle to know how meaningful the acronym is and what it actually means. Uh, and and I, I think that it, when it gets used as a coverall without thinking about it critically, I think it becomes useless in many ways because it often you're talking about uh, an LGBTIQ community when you're actually just talking about issues that affect gay men or you're actually just talking about issues related to trans people. But then at the same time, I think that there is value in thinking about how sexual and gender oppression are are linked and connected and that there's a history of that linkage and that connection and therefore that there are potential for there is potential for solidarity between people who are trans and people who are gay men and that maybe an acronym like this sort of creates that potential for solidarity if we think about it in that kind of way but you know then the question goes you know how many how many more letters do we add how many more identities are there out in the world is it just becoming sort of a meaningless thing if we keep adding these identities and I, I don't know. I, I really don't know, actually, because it keeps changing my mind on it. What are your? I mean, what are your thoughts, Ben? I'm really interested in you. Sure. I mean, I, yeah, I have a few thoughts about this. I think to to. I mean, this wasn't in the question, but to go to to go to Dennis's argument for replacing LGBTIQ plus etc. with DSG is is a, like it's kind of a weird solution because to me it just kind of replaces one thing with another thing that will clearly just gain similar baggage over time. Like yep, this is yep. just kind of what happens to words over time is they they um they change meanings and gain new meanings and and I think that we're never kind of going to get going to be able to get away from this stuff. And so to some degree so there are sort of two questions here for me. I think like first like how broadly do we want to define uh issues of sex and gender and sexuality because remember intersex is is uh not an issue of uh sexuality or gender but but one of sex but one mm-hmm. intersects with questions about sexuality and gender in terms of the discrimination the intersex people often often face which is a very kind of roundabout way of saying there are lots of linkages here between lots of different things they're all quite complicated i think that the question of how many letters are in the acronym is probably the wrong question. I think add as many as we want, like who cares, you know, just keep adding them. What, you know, what does it matter? Although I do have particular issues with the kind of allies one. Cause to me, that's like, that doesn't really serve anyone except like stroking the egos of allies where, you know, kink people who, uh, who practice kinks, like do get kind of shamed in societies in, in all ways and shamed in similar ways to how queer people, people do if you want to define that as separately from queer so so like i sort of get that you know i'm not saying that's definitively an argument for including it or not but it but the links do make sense i suppose the better question for me is that if we are continuing to increase it and that like that results in i mean this isn't even really about increasing it. i feel like it happens now that results in kind of policing the ways that we use it and policing you know whether people are using the correct language or or you know whether people are 
uh, kind of terrible people for getting it wrong. Like those sorts of questions. If that just becomes a tool for doing that more and doing it more harshly, well, then that's kind of shitty. But I'm not sure that that is going to have much to do with how many letters are in it. Maybe it becomes a bit easier if, if there are more letters. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know either, to be honest. I think, I mean, I think that but I, I, I yeah, agree. I suppose the broad point I'm making is that like, don't folk don't don't the more attention we pay to how many letters should be in the acronym like it's probably not worth that much of our attention <laughs> i suppose is what i'm what i'm trying to say yeah i get i guess uh, i agree with that to an extent i think that uh, maybe i'm not quite sure but maybe the, the the spirit of some of this question is and i've seen these discussions in the past is if we're including kink for example uh that means probably including a whole bunch of heterosexuals for example who engage in kink practices and that actually doesn't connect with the experiences of queers who of, of gays and lesbians in particular who face um oppression due to their due to their sexuality and and that that kink that being that kinkness isn't a sexuality in the same way that being gay and lesbian is and that therefore there aren't as many as connections as you might think and and i can see that argument too and i this is why i'm struggling to answer this question because i'm not quite sure about how how we build those links of solidarity whilst also ensuring that we can have assert voices and assert sort of difference in terms of experience of oppression but without doing so in a way that becomes an oppression olympics and all of that kind of stuff so it's it's sort of challenging in that way of how can we assert ourselves in a space and say that this is an issue for people of a different sexuality and maybe kink isn't a different sexuality in that way whilst also saying what you've said that you know that the experiences of shame that are directed toward kink people who who engage in kinks um are are similar to the the sorts of shame that that gay and lesbian people face. And I think that that is the the challenge that I think is coming out in this question. And I I, I really don't know how to answer it fully, except to think about those challenges. It makes me think of something that we're we're now kind of spending quite a bit of time on on answering this question. And we should probably come back to to do it in another episode. But I think we should. It just reminds me of something that, that Hannah McCann said on our live episode about just kind of doing things and not sort of sitting around too much thinking about how we might do things and so maybe you know maybe the answer here is to kind of go sure kinky people like if you if you make a decent case about how your political aims are going to be forwarded by being involved with us then great if that happens and then it doesn't work well we'll talk about it and maybe it hasn't worked and you need to leave you know yeah maybe that's that, it. that maybe is potentially maybe maybe that is the solution it, it is a nice straightforward solution and a, and a clear one at mm. least well, if, like Imogen, you'd like to get in touch, uh, you can do so in multiple ways via the internet. You can email us at queerspodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and Twitter at queerspodcast. I am also on Twitter at Ben C. Riley. Simon's on Twitter at Simon Copland. And he's also on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer. Did I get all that right, Simon? You did. You get it all right. Well done. Yes. Uh, you can also find the podcast on our very brand new website, queerspodcast.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave a review and rating. It helps other people find us. Uh, and thank you as always to our podcast host or podcast partner, Earbuds. Uh, as always, you should go and check out Earbuds and have a look at their other the other great podcasts that are as part of the network that uh, we are very happy to be part of now. Uh, the last way that you can help us spread the word is by telling a friend and giving your great personal recommendation for the podcast. That's that's always the best way we have to find new listeners. Thanks as always for listening and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode.
Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 